This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers, helping you prioritize your health, happiness and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane, reminding you that you're a person first and a teacher second and you are allowed to look after you. Hi everyone and welcome back. In this episode, you will hear part two of my interview with Elise. If you haven't yet, go back and listen to part one so that this half of the conversation makes sense. So in part one, Elise tells us about some serious health challenges that she faced, including a really important message about vocal care, plus how important a culture of well-being is in a school. And while in part one, we talked a lot about school experiences of well-being and the staff culture, the conversation shifts in part two to be about Elisa's personal life and personal well-being and the self-care practices that she puts in place to support herself with. And it's so great to hear how she has changed her practices over time and also her mindset simply from paying attention to what's working and what's not and being willing to try different things to see how they will or won't support her well-being. So I think that Elisa's story is such a great example of how powerful coaching is to help upgrade and improve your well-being both in the classroom and in life. Now, just before we get to this episode, I wanted to tell you a little bit about a new program that's starting in a couple of weeks. That's mid-July 2019, just in case you're listening at a later date. So it's a pilot program that I'm running and it is all about mind management and how that can impact our well-being. I've been doing heaps of research over the last couple of years specifically about how modern science has caught up to what some ancient cultures have always known or have known for millennia, which is that you can actually learn to manage your mind so that you experience less fatigue and more focus, less distraction, more concentration, less stress and more sleep, and don't we all want that, (laughs) and just generally less overwhelm and more peace of mind. If you, like me, ever felt like your experience of life and work is impacted by what's going on between your ears, then I think this program is for you. I invite you to join me for this five-month pilot program that will help you to learn to manage your mind and cultivate more happiness and well-being. It is not a quick fix. That's why it goes for five months, right? This is about improving the knowledge and skills and you know, learning some new strategies and also building your mental muscle so that over time you can better manage your mind. And like any muscle, it takes time to build up and it takes time and maintenance and effort and persistence and patience to stay fit. So you can read more about it and you can book it at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash mind. That's M-I-N-D. So the program is part course, part group coaching, and it will run across terms three and four 2019. It's $88 per month for this initial round. And at this stage, it's open to Australian residents only. I hope in the future to open it up to international listeners. But at the moment, we're just sticking to the Australians because all the time zones will be at least easier, if not exactly the same. So in this mind management pilot program, you will get access to a monthly video training and a series of mental assignments to help build your knowledge and skills base a fortnightly group coaching and accountability call to help keep you on track and connect with others on the same journey as you, a weekly check-in and reflection process to help you tailor the program to your specific situation, 
a private Slack channel to stay in touch with everyone between calls, and I've very deliberately made it in Slack, not on Facebook. There's a good reason for that, which you'll discover in month three. A menu of daily habits and practices to help you cultivate well-being and manage those monkeys in your mind. Plus, by the end of it, you will have a greater understanding and mastery of your mind and improved well-being and experience of the world. So we're going to cover how personality and preferences impact your experience of the world, why your physiology impacts your psychology and what you can do about that, the power of meditation and how to get started even if you hate it or you find it really boring or you always fall asleep, what rituals have to do with sleep and how you can harness them to wake up feeling more refreshed, the ways that small habits can add up to really big improvements over time how to set up your digital boundaries so that your devices won't sabotage your happiness and productivity because, my goodness, is that a problem? What science tells us about decision fatigue and the mental load and self-control and how to use all of that info to your advantage, plus the importance of support and community because no one is an island. So if you're ready to make some changes in your life and health and well-being this year, do consider joining me in this five-month-long program to learn to manage your mind and get those monkeys back in the barrel. You can head to selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash mind for more information and to book. If you're listening to this after the program has launched, then please do sign up for the email updates if you are still interested and you want to join in a future round. And I'd love to welcome you into this program. Okay, on with the second half of Elisa's story about cultivating more well-being as a teacher, but also more importantly, as a person first. My um, well-being seeing the light moment wasn't really a moment, but it was just more of like a really long process. It took about 20-something years. A gradual realisation. <laughs> really. I, sometimes I'm surprised how long it takes me to realise things that are pretty obvious. But anyway, it's 2020. That is. <laughs> um, I think for me, you know, the, the, the near burnout and then the voice issues and then realising that I wasn't too happy at that other school um, sort of led me along the trail to wanting to get some support with my career. And I went to Katrina for coaching. And I thought that initially I thought, well, I want some career support. I need to know where to go next. And in London, I'd done my master's at a young age, probably 26, and, and while working full-time. That wasn't smart. And, um, <laughs> and, and then I was thinking, oh, I'm going to do my PhD now and I'll get Katrina to help me make a plan. And the way Katrina works is she, she just helps you to find your goal, what you really want. And I was thinking, I'll go in there and I'm going to get this PhD goal and then to my surprise, sitting in that meeting with Katrina, I actually ended up with a goal that was to live my life peacefully, guided by my inner wisdom. Yeah. And I was like, where did that come from? <laughs> That's the process, right? We all have layers of stuff that we need sometimes a facilitator to help us draw out. And I think that that's the way it works. Or, you know, certainly that's been my experience having coaching myself and then, of course, coaching uh, clients as well. It's like that's the way that it's an it's an interesting unwrapping process um for, for both parties <laughs> yeah it was so interesting that I think we were both just in that moment we just were like sort of giddily smiling and going this is I was so surprised that this I'm was smiling life. really hard right now just hearing you talk about it it's, it's it lovely. was really fun. it was a really good moment and I think I think Katrina probably was like not surprised that that happened 
because she would have seen that a lot of times but I think me it was about me being surprised because yeah yeah that's that wasn't really my goal in life my goal was always let's just do that better and do that better and do that better but now it's time for well-being the work ethic thing right that the that work ethic, that's right pattern that you had learned of you just head down bum up work harder work harder <laughs> and if you work hard enough you will get there and it'll all be fine so I think um with my well-being my personal well-being I really needed to get better at just basically running my life so my husband's really really tidy and I am really really not tidy and I I didn't realize but my not tidiness was really causing problems for me so in the morning I'd get up and I'd be like where's my keys where's my phone where's my wallet I have the same problem I mean I like I've had the same aha I'm I'm not very tidy either, just naturally. It's an effort, but it makes a difference. Yes, it is an effort, but it does make a huge difference to me to just have a place to put my things and there's a place for everything and it stays in that place. And I reckon a lot of teachers are really good at that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that specialists might be a bit different. Maybe. (laughs) Do you think? Because it's, I mean, it's such a different... I don't know. I think there's an extra level of chaos when you're a specialist teacher. Is that kind of process that you're always involved in a creative, let's see what happens. Obviously you plan and you've got an idea, but you really leave it open to children to lead when I think it just makes you a bit of a different thinker. And I don't know, I really don't know, but I had to learn those skills that people that I'm friends with at work take for granted. So yeah, I had to have checklists. What do you do when you leave work? What do you need to make sure you've done? What do you do when you get home? Before you go to bed, what do you need to get ready for tomorrow? And then in the morning, what do you need to do now? And then when you get to school now, what do you need to do to make sure your day works? Yep. And I kind of think it's, I feel surprised that I did not have those skills. I, I am not surprised, but I really love that you're sharing that because I have had the similar, uh, similar. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Me. <laughs> but also I maybe, again, maybe we attract the people that um, certainly in my coaching uh, experience, I, I've probably had that be something that comes up a few enough times for me to now go, okay, it's not just me. Like this is, this is a thing, you know, this is a, this is a human part of the human condition for a certain part of the yes. life, you know? <laughs> It, and But it, I think that's one of the reasons I might have found my job so hard when I was a class teacher because I didn't have that executive functioning or that aspect of it worked out, whereas a lot of people who do that job are natural list makers and ticker offerers and they just love that where it's just not a natural thing and I've had to learn that skill. Yeah. Well, and see, I think it is a natural thing for me, but I never, I never allow, I felt like it was weak to have to have things written down. Ooh. Okay. Um, so it's interesting the way our beliefs and they're so subconscious can guide us because I would just overcommit myself and then oh yeah, I've done and that. <laughs> then feel like I couldn't take the time that I needed to get organized because it does take time. And it does. It takes more time than you think. It does. And when you're totally disorganized because life is a bit chaotic because it's creative and, and there's all this, you there's know, stuff everywhere. Stuff everywhere. And you've got stuff. Yes. The making space. Um, Making stuff just makes a lot of mess. Which is wonderful and it's great to be really comfortable. Like it's something that that took me a little while to get comfortable with as an early career um, teacher. And I had a a music teacher mentor who was just fantastic at, uh, actually I've had two music teacher mentors who I 
very much would be like, okay, what would they do? They, they seem to feel that everything's chaos right now. Okay, this, oh, this is what it is. This is the way a music this classroom is. what it is. Um, but I also had this judgment of myself because often that, that list-making, organisational stuff that I, I, you don't necessarily see other people doing it, you just see the result. Mm, how organised they are. And so you don't necessarily see that it, they're actually making time for this every day. I'm not making time for it. Yes, I think that's so true. And thinking that they're just naturally good at it, it makes you feel worse about yourself. Exactly. And I, I think that's a really huge thing, just realising that these people are efficient because they put time into being efficient. Yeah, and maybe it does come naturally, you know, more naturally to them. Um, and other things come naturally to me, you know, or to you. We all have our different strengths, and, and, but there's no right or wrong in that. Yeah, and I think it's so important as colleagues to maybe find someone who is different to you so you can understand each other better. Yeah. And also complement each other in a way that makes a whole, sort of a really good whole. I love that. Yeah, I've got a colleague who I work with her and she is so organised and amazing with lists and she's really good. She's really on time all the time. Whereas I'm the opposite. I'm, you know, I'm not as good at time and, but I'm very happy if something changes. I'm like, okay, that's cool. I can go with that. Yeah. yeah. And so we can, that's it. We can learn from each other the, the kind of the strengths that we have. We can strengthen our strengths and then also see how other people's strengths might complement our weaknesses, but we can also pick up a bit. And yeah. It's a great thing. Take a little bit from their strengths as well and see if we can apply that in our life. Mm-hmm. I've totally done that and I feel like it's made me, I feel like I'm making myself more whole now. Oh, that's a beautiful metaphor. Yeah, it's really exciting actually the process and how, what you do to, to get more whole. Mm. Particularly when you've been feeling, you know, you've had experiences where you didn't feel like that at all. No, I just was wildly I'm not sure what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so with Katrina again, so I'm going, just going back to other things with my goal to be, um, to be more peaceful, have a really peaceful life. Um, I, she helped me to realize what my priorities were in life, which I kind of knew. I knew that my children were really important to me, but I think I didn't make it conscious. So she helped me to realize that my children and my partner and my my close family members are really, really important. And also my health, they were the two greatest, um, highest up priorities. And so it really made me recommit to the gym. And the gym is my Prozac. Is If I wasn't going to the gym, I would probably be on Prozac. Yeah. Because I just have a lot of anxiety about things. So that exercise, those endorphins are really important to me. That's so powerful. So powerful. And it, it's really, yeah, it just works. And if I don't exercise, I can see the anxiety coming back. Mm. I also want to just reflect there that so many of us can get stuck in this idea that I should be exercising. It becomes a chore because we are thinking more long-term about like, okay, if I don't exercise, you know, every day for the next 40 years, I'll get heart disease and die. And actually let's flip it because it makes me feel good. It's a bit of effort, but it makes me feel good and it actually prevents some short-term um consequences oh definitely it's that yeah you just need to make that a pro well not need and you should and all of that but if you can it's just 
it's so valuable and find something that works for you because gym may not be it it might be yoga it might be walking in the park it might be some you know it's not going to be the same same for everyone find some kind of movement that works yeah Definitely. And yeah, I think it really is about knowing what works for you and it could change over time. You might be different Definitely. from when you were in your twenties and you didn't have kids and, but now you might have kids and you've got hardly any time and energy. And I don't know. I think you just have to be adaptable. Or you're further away from the gym or you, you, you don't want to spend the money on a gym membership. I mean, you know, there's, yeah, there's heaps of reasons why it might not work. Yeah. And why it's okay to trial and error other things or new things or go back to something that worked when you were 20 but you haven't done it for 10 years, you know? Yeah, I think that's important just to be open to trying, trying and seeing and maybe it doesn't work. That's okay. I definitely did Michelle Bridges heaps of times and just was terrible at it. Oh, and maybe that doesn't work for me and that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, Gretchen Rubin, I really love listening to her podcast, Happier. And um, she has four te- the four tendencies. Yes. And I've realized I'm a questioner. So there's a lot of things that aren't going to work for me. I'm just going to have to say, oh, well, why? Why? That's no. And there has to be a different way for it to work for me. Um, and and I've, that's okay. And that's the self-awareness piece, right? It's understanding. That's what Gretchen always says. If, when you understand yourself, you can bet, you can actually be better because you work with yourself instead of against yourself Mm, rather than forcing yourself to do a certain thing that's just not who you are yep which is the same thing about your colleagues too when you you know they're really good at something or that something comes more naturally to them and it doesn't for you and you just have that awareness that okay that thing's maybe going to be a bit more effort for me but I can help them with that other piece or I'm more naturally um you know skilled in other areas um and because I'm an obliger based on Gretchen oh yeah okay um, framework so external accountability is just so powerful and when I took the judgment away from that and stopped trying to make myself feel bad because I couldn't do it on your own yeah yeah on my own well ironically over time I am actually now a much better I'm more like an upholder than I was because I'm working with myself you know figured out what works for me um but once I took the judgment away and just got the accountability that I needed about the things that I really needed. It's, you know, <laughs> it's a little smoother when you're not beating yourself up in your brain every day. That's right. That's so true. This is brilliant. Um, I'm wondering if you've got some top tips, particularly for early career teachers to sort of set themselves up, but really for teachers at any stage, um, because I'm seeing very much that this is not a, a it, it's not a well-being um, struggles Yes, they definitely come up in early career, but it's not exclusive to early career. No, so I'd love it, it if you have some top tips to share, Elise. Okay. Um, well, I was thinking about this earlier and I was, my, I think my top advice would be to really, as um, I think Gretchen Rubin says this a lot too, know thyself. You just know what you need um, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, if you can, if you know that, then that's great. And pl- and just please um, think that's okay for you. So for me, when I, I always felt pressured to go out and um, have fun with my friends who loved partying, and I'm just not very good at partying. I like to go to bed early, and <laughs> um, and I get really bad hangovers. So now I n- don't drink alcohol anymore, and I feel much better. And I go to bed at nine o'clock, and I feel so much better. So. I think when you're younger, it's really hard to just accept who you are when this world just loves extroverts and partiers and people who can drink shots. If that's not you, then I, I think it's about being okay to say, yeah, that's just not me and, and that 
I'm good with that. Yeah, let's catch up for coffee instead. (laughs) We meet up then and, yeah, I'd like to go to bed early. And um, I think also just knowing how much exercise you need and what kind of exercise you need and and making sure you get it and also food and and maybe if you can't drink, you know how you go out partying and maybe... For me, I, if I drink alcohol, I get a really bad hangover and then I need to eat 10 tons of chocolate the next day. And, oh, it's just really bad for me. So what's bad for you or what's good for you? And just really be okay with that. 100%. 100%. And because I think that, that requires a little bit of paying attention that many of us don't do because we are so, you know, teachers are so wrapped up in the, the brain stuff. Like we're so cerebral and, and thinking all the time. We've actually got to get out of that pattern sometimes and actually pay attention to what's going on in our body and that's so true it's so true yeah hard it's hard to do like you actually have to set um I think people need to set reminders in their phone or get a coach or get um a accountability buddy I mean obviously that's the obliger in me talking about you know building some structures in your life so that you actually are regularly doing that checking in otherwise it's too easy to get to the end of the year and go Oh yeah, I didn't really pay oh, attention, but I feel like yeah. I'm dead. <laughs> yeah. I'm, and then in the holidays for the whole six weeks, you're just dead. Yeah, you don't want to be um, in bed for the whole summer holiday, or whatever holiday, or even just every weekend. I mean, there's there's going to be a some of that. I mean, I think there's going to be times where, and that's as you get more experienced, you you sort of start to understand the wheel of the calendar year and you go, well, that's report card week. I'm going to make sure that I've kind of blocked out my calendar. I'm not going to do any too much social. I can't go to that, you know, so-and-so's birthday party that weekend because it's report card week and I just won't, you know. So you just can't. There's a level of that. It, you tilt into work and then you can tilt back into life yeah. later. But there's also a level of we've got to get out of our head sometimes and just check in and go, what does my body, what is it saying? And what am I? No- what are the patterns I'm noticing? Yep, every time I drink alcohol. For me, it was figuring out that gluten was giving me migraines. And that was, I had migraines for a long time before I looked at food triggers. Um, and, it, you know, obviously it was painful. <laughs> yeah, and annoying and time-consuming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But also it... It was in some ways I had to get out of the thinking that well, I'll just take a pill and soldier on. I'll just, you know, have this migraine medication and keep going. Like actually listen to the body. It's giving me some signals here. What is it saying? And we need to, we also, I think, need to have a culture that we do that more because we don't do that as teachers. We're so cerebral. So busy as well. So busy. Yeah. Um, and also as a teacher, I'm sure other teachers feel like this, but um, I feel like all day at work I'm kind of, um, trying to damp down re- like natural human responses to really annoying things. Yes. <laughs> it's like there's, there's some children who really say and do things that are very, very difficult to, to see and hear. And, and you all the time as a teacher, we are, we really have to respond in a way that's not probably quite natural I feel like exercise is a really good way to get rid of maybe cortisol that builds up from from that. That's a great point. And I think surely in human like animal behavior, if something's really annoying, you you get away from it. But we can't. <laughs> Sometimes there's annoying behaviors, and they just you know you do what you can to positively reinforce good behaviors. But it's always going to happen. So yeah, I think that um, exercise could probably be you know a good way to get rid of that cortisol. That's a really good point. Yeah, I like that. Hmm. And uh, one more thing, this is my latest learning. This is my last thing that I wanted to say that this year I've just learned that I need to be prepared to have or 
I sh- I'd like to be prepared to have courageous conversations when I need to or when they pop up. And, you know, if something's bothering me, I think it's probably a good idea to to go and have that conversation with that person before the issue gets bigger. Mm. And it's really, it is quite difficult. It is. It's really confronting, but I've noticed that the earlier that I confront, but in a kind way, in a vulnerable way, being vulnerable to say, look, this is happening for me and I'm feeling like this, it nips things in the bud before they explode and then you get really angry and it just gets too big and you can't, like, get it back. You can't get – it's like getting the toothpaste out of the tube. Yeah. Probably just get, to, just get a tiny bit of toothpaste out <laughs> and, and not get the whole tube of toothpaste That's out. That's so true. And, and also, um, you know, it's hard. It's recognising I mean, if we want to take the toothpaste metaphor, right, you, you've got to brush your teeth. Otherwise, you might need a filling and that's going to be so much more painful and expensive and whatever. And, but it is also sometimes, you know, we've all seen little kids trying to brush their teeth and it's a bit of a battle. Once we're, once we're good at it, once we're good at it, we don't think about it so much, but when you're learning how to brush your teeth as a kid, it is everywhere. <laughs> yeah, It's not easy. And so you're not going to get it right the first time or probably the first 55 times. That's right. And you might need reminding to brush your teeth as well. I might need to say to you, you know what, you probably, I can see that you're feeling a bit upset about that. And could you go and talk to that person about it before it gets bigger? Yeah. And, and also saying to us, you know, giving ourselves that self-talk of, yes, it's very uncomfortable and scary. That's why they're called courageous conversations. That's right. And, you know, the strong, the Brene Brown strong back and soft front. So just the way that we can really stand up for what we, for ourselves and, but do it in a kind way. Um, and you can just make, I think it makes a, a real bond between you and the person as well. If you need to talk to someone about something, be vulnerable. You actually sometimes have a bond with that person that's actually stronger. Yeah, exactly right. And and I think I would caveat with if you have not got, if, if the person you need to have a courageous conversation with is actually a toxic person, if it's actually not safe, if you do not have psychological safety in that, yeah, don't do that. whether it's in your personal life or your work life, then maybe that's not, you know, that's, it's just, it's not going to help you to be vulnerable. It might make things worse. So just check in with yourself. What kind of person are you working with? And, and is there actually the psychological safety to do that? But if there is, and I think a lot of the time there is, and it's the reason we're avoiding it is just because it's uncomfortable, you know, yeah, like that's right. it's uncomfortable. We just, Oh, just avoid that. Let's put it off, you know, um, which is quite different to, for example, if you have a toxic um, boss or someone that, that, as you said, like that, that, that principal who would give you the third degree if you said you went well. I mean, you're not going to ring up then and say, oh, yes, well, I'm having a mental health day because I'm feeling a lot of stress at work. Well, that, that's not going to be safe to say that. Um, but if most, I think most of the time, there is enough psychological safety that we can even just share enough. We don't have to share everything. We don't have to share you know, all the vulnerabilities. Just the relevant ones, I think. Yeah. And a little bit of toothpaste. Yeah. Just a little bit. Don't go all, don't get all the toothpaste out. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And yeah, know who you're dealing with, obviously. Yeah. But, and exactly, get a little bit of toothpaste out so you don't have to clean up the whole tube. Yeah. (laughs) It's not going to go back in. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a really um, funny, but lovely place to to wrap up. Um, Thank you so much, Elise, for sharing your story because I think it's so powerful and so 
so valuable. So thank you for being vulnerable and and having a courageous conversation today of a kind of different kind. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks very much, Ellen. It was wonderful. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify, hit the three dots, share it to your Facebook or Instagram stories and let your friends know that you're listening. And if something in this episode made you think about a teacher that you care about and you think they need to hear it, send it to them now. Let's spread the message of teacher wellbeing and together we can create thriving school communities. Show notes for the podcast can be found at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at selfcareforteachers. Season five of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast is proudly supported by Katrina Burke Coaching, Teachers Thriving, Zoe from My Smart Community, Jessica from Lead and Inspire, and Katie from See Me, Know Me, Teach Me. As always, remember you're a person first and a teacher second and you are worthy of your own care.